Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will be seen because we will see him just as he is. Amen. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this message, which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we loved, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love the word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are the tr that we are of the truth, and we will assure our hearts before Him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. 
The one who keeps his commandments abide in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom has, he has given us. There's a lot there. We're just going to go back and we're going to start breaking this down. You remember uh, Pastor Ben and Pastor Scott talked about John. This is John's epistle. John's dealing with a group of people called the Gnostics. This was a belief, you know, we have about 50, 60 years of Christianity from Jesus. So it's like we're raising our second generation in the church, right? And now we're starting to see distortions and different people coming up with different ideas on, on spirituality. And we have some, some things that still sticking around today. But I remember when I was in college, we studied Gnosticism, and, and they actually gave us a copy of the Gospel of Judas. And Gnosticism, when we studied it, then that, that thing actually made sense. But they, they believed, I really won't go into it much, but they, they just, some, some of the sects of Gnosticism, right? The word Gnostic is Gnosis, it's, it's knowledge, if you have the right knowledge. So some of them said if you had like a spark of like the true God, then you actually could understand the complex things that other people couldn't. So if you didn't have the spark, you couldn't understand. And so it's like, it's all about like knowledge. And, 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 and so John's dealing with, John's dealing with this. Lots of different ideas are floating around out there about, you know, what, what is true. And, and so he's dealing with it. That's why he talks about light. That's why he talks about, I've told you this from the beginning. Um, so verse one here, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. I just want to talk about that idea. We are called children of God. Um, you know, what is the love that the Father bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? That. You know, we, we talked about it. You know, Jesus came and he made a way for us. Like now, if, if you read the beginning of the gospel of John, right, we can be in his family. <laughs> like we get, to, we get a way in now, right? As Gentiles, we, we, get to, we get to get in. We get to go to heaven. It's not just the Jews. And so we get to be children of God. And um, so verse two, beloved, now we are children of God and it is not and it has not appeared as yet to what we will be we know that when he appears we will be like him and i think that I, that word there appears um cuz it says we will be like him because we will see him just as he is the word the word see him that word see actually means to like perceive, like to see him rightly. We, we've been going through the study of uh, Revelation and, and, and John has gotten upgraded Jesus, right? Because we perceive people like when we hang out with them, like if, if you have a significant other, you know, you're around them long enough, you begin to see all the, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? You start to perceive who they are. So, you know, you're around someone long enough, you begin to see them and perceive them and just beyond visual sight. So 
John knew Jesus. He lived with him for three years, walked with him, did ministry with him for three years. He was being taught by him. Um, he, and then he sees Jesus glorified, hair as white as wool and a white garment and bronze feet and his eyes are like thunder and you know they're just like lightning you know it's like so he is he gets an upgrade of who Jesus is he perceives who Jesus is and I think it's really that's important that it it says we'll be like him he appears and we will be like him why will we be like him because we will perceive him we'll see him as he really is um and everyone who has this hope, it says. So it's just like hope is like trusting in something for the future. When I, when I, I, I trust and I have faith for something that will happen in the future, right? That's hope. So we put our hope in Jesus because Jesus is coming back, right? Like we believe that Jesus saved us. We believe that in our eternity, like we have a hope, you know, the hope of glory. And, uh, but when, and everyone who has this hope, right? Fixed on him, purifies himself. So having hope in Jesus, having our hope set on that we, that, that God has said, you're it, you're in, you're in the family, you're a child of God. Like Jesus made a way for you, you know, you're children of light, you know, like having that hope, this hope now, when we fix that hope on him, it purifies us. You know, like Colossians 3.1 says, you know, keep your eyes on things above, right? It's like when we, when we fix our eyes on him, when we fix our eyes on the hope of glory, like of Jesus, when, when, we, when we focus on that, it actually purifies us. It's, you know, John was before him and he fell on his face like a dead man, right? Because he realized that he was much greater than he had seen Jesus before. Um, so everyone, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And let's just talk about that idea of purity. You know, what is that? Being pure is being holy. You know, when we talk about holiness, we're talking about right living. Uh, Paul's dealing with this, you know, he's dealing with right living. He's dealing with people who are living in sin. Not Paul, I keep saying Paul, John. John's dealing with this church of this Gnostics and they just, they're, they're, they're living in sin and they think it's okay and they've created a theology that says it's okay to sin because it's, you know, it's the flesh and it's not, you know, whatever their reason is. They're, they're, they're saying they have a higher knowledge and that this is okay and they are, um, and they don't need to, they don't need to stop sinning. And, and John is making it really clear, like, you know, everyone who has his hope fixed on Jesus, you know, is pu- purifies himself, just as Jesus is pure. And we know that Jesus is holy and righteous. So, all right, verse four, everyone who, pra- everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I think this is important. I mean, obviously, lawlessness is kind of like one of those buzzwords today because there's a lot going on from our riots to people just bucking the government, you know. Um, But I just think, you know, besides all of that, everyone who practices sin, like that idea of doing sin, of practicing sin, also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And and just the idea that, like, I don't need you to tell me what to do. And I think that's kind of like what we really get into here about. Because, you know, remember back in the beginning, right? It says, I think that that might even be the next verse. Um, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. 
and in him there is no sin. Like God is holy, God is pure. He takes away the sins and in him there is no sin. Um, No one who abides in him sins and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Um, Just that I want to go back to that idea of like lawlessness and sin and um, in the beginning, what is sin, right? What is this idea of sin? Sin is like, God, I don't need you. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were deceived by the evil one because he said, oh, you don't, you don't need God to tell you what to do. Like, go ahead and take that fruit from the tree. Like, you can, you can choose for yourself. Sin is independence. God, I don't need you. Um, so everyone who practices sin, everyone who practices independence, we could say, you know, practices sin. So you could even say everyone who practices independence also practices lawlessness. And independence is lawlessness. Like, God, I don't need you. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need you. Um, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That word appeared is like, it's really big. You know, he didn't just like poof appear. He's talking about how Jesus, all through the Old Testament, promised a Messiah, and in Mary, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, born a human. He lived 33 years. He died. He rose again. He, you know, like this is the Jesus that, that appeared. This is who he's talking about. He's saying, you know that he appeared in order to take away the sins, and in him there is no sin. Like, it's clear, like, that the, the Gnostics believed that... Um, that Jesus, Jesus was sinful, that maybe he was just a man and God came upon him. So, I mean, this, he's, he's definitely challenging by saying that. He's challenging them by saying, you know, that there was no sin in him. And it was clear in the first two chapters of this book that he's like, I'm not bringing anything new to you. This is no new teaching. This is the things you've heard from the beginning, um, that he was sinless and he went to the cross for you. He died for you. It's what he did. Him pouring out his blood makes you right with Jesus. And we're going to talk, in, talk about practicing righteousness. And, and uh, so let's, let's just read on. Verse 6, no one who abides in, uh, in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Notice that it has the, the it's plural there. And this is the idea of like not the infection of man, the sin of independence, the infection that, that the fall of man that I have in me. But this is, um, this is like acts of sin. Um, no one who abides in him. I love that word abide. The word abide means to hang out. It just means like, um, it means to be around. It means to, to be in with someone on something. It, you know, like if, if I'm hanging out with Jesus, he will hang out with me. Like if I'm, keeping my eyes fixed on him, you know, he's going to be with me. The, the idea of abiding in, in his presence is, is being with him where he is. So that, I love that. I love that word abide because it's like, it's just hanging out with Jesus. It's being with him. And no one who hangs out with him sins. Like when I was growing up in high school, we used to wear bracelets that said uh, WWJD. I know it's an old thing that we don't really, it's not popular anymore. You probably can't even find them. But the idea, I remember when the preachers used to preach it, they would say, wear this bracelet, and next time you, cho- you, you think about doing something and, and walking in sin, and you see the bracelet, you might think, would I do this? 
if the God of the universe was sitting next to me, would I watch this on TV if Jesus was hanging out with me? Would I say these things about this other person if Jesus was hanging out with me? So like the idea of like Jesus being with us, like uh, if we abide in him, we're not going to sin <laughs> because we're going to be in the presence of the almighty God, the one who is holy and pure, you know, and we're not going to be like, oh, flippant and just be like, yeah, whatever. We're, there is a pull. Our flesh is pulling us. The, the enemy is lying to us. We're always being, you know, pulled to walk away from God. You know, Satan whispered to them in the garden, right? You know, is that what he really said? You know, and, and the, the enemy is speaking to us today and trying to get us to doubt, trying to get us to believe like, you know, in these things that we're missing out. I think there's that idea today of, uh, of the fear of missing out. That's really big for, uh, for our, gener- our new generation. And, and they're, they're always afraid they're going to be missing out on something. And there's that, just that lie from the enemy, you know, that, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah, you might miss out. Go ahead. It's not a big deal, you know. But if Jesus was with us, if Jesus was hanging out with me, if he's sitting next to me, would I, would I take that lie? Would I actually believe it? So I think that's what he's, I believe that's what he's saying here. No one who abides in him, no one who hangs out with Jesus sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. You know, the idea of like seeing him, beholding the God of the universe, like really go, really having an encounter with the living God. You know, that's true. When we have an encounter with God and we come to church or, or someone prays with us and, and it's like our eyes are like finally opened and like we see him and we have this encounter that, God is real. And what he did for me, you know, it actually elicits like a response out of me to where I might be emotional. I might, I might be, you know, giving or you, you see something, something happens when people are changed by God, people go, Whoa, something happened. There's something about that that's going on with that person. So like, that's what he's saying. He's saying no one who, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Um, like you can't walk around just sinning and having no cares like that there's any that there's no repercussions for it or that that it doesn't matter i maybe not repercussions but you just don't walk around sinning like it doesn't matter because it does matter because when you're changed inside you're like no i've seen god i know this is wrong you know it says like when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, right? Then we are saved. Like when we really believe that in our heart that Jesus is who God says he is and that God actually raised him from the dead and, and he's paid my penalty, when we actually get a hold of that and when we believe that what Jesus did on the cross was a payment for the things that I deserve. You know, it's funny, uh, my son Samuel, he he watched Narnia the other day, and, and we've watched it plenty of times together. We've talked about how Aslan is a, is a, a typification of like Jesus. He, Aslan, the lion, was Jesus, and he went and sacrificed for the, the boy Edmund. And, and I don't know if they were talking about it at school or what, um, but he's like, Dad, the lion is just like Jesus. Like he had never heard this before, and I'm thinking to myself, I just want to be like, oh, we've talked about this. But I just said cool. (laughs) But like, you know, um, but that's, you know, when we really have this understanding that Jesus paid the penalty for us, right? Like in that story, Aslan, where he took our penalty and we really understand that and believe it. And then we believe that God raised him from the dead. And we, we really grab a hold of that. Like these believers in this time, they, they, they experienced that, 
He's, and so John is like saying, you know, if this, you know this stuff. We talked about this. I seen a change in your life. This is who we are. Like no one who's been through this change just walks around like, like God is not calling us to live greater in a higher calling. Like, you know, uh, I used to have a pastor all the time say, if all Jesus wanted you to do was believe in him, confess your sins and, and get saved, right? Be born again. Then he'd just strike you with lightning and he'd take you to heaven, you know? Like, but no, God... God wanted to call you, save you, cleanse you, transform your, give you a spirit inside you, be born again a spirit because he has a plan for you. And so it's like people who live with a purpose, a calling from God, they don't just walk around, you know, with, uh, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Like that just doesn't happen. He's just, it, I think we can read that, you know, and just miss it. And so it's like, that just doesn't happen to someone who's experienced the power of God. Verse seven, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Um, and I'll, I'll keep reading. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, and the devil, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. You know, it's clear that practicing righteousness is about abiding, right? When we hang out with Jesus, when we're, when we're abiding in God, when we're with him, we're keeping our eyes on things above, when, when, we're hang, when we're there, right? That's practicing righteousness. Because we clearly know that my righteousness is a filthy rags. Like, I can't do it on my own. Like, it's no good. The only thing that gives me a right standing before the Father, is that I am with Jesus. It's like when the enemy comes to accuse me and be like, yo, Jesus is going to open his book and he's going to be like, uh, Jared Hunt, yep, this one's mine. You know, like, if I'm, but if Jesus is not with me, right? It's like, you know, so those who practice righteousness are those who abide in Christ. Those are those who hang out with God. Those who know God, they practice right. It's not because, it's not that we have to work it out and practice it and be good at it. Like we don't have to kill animals anymore. <laughs> you know, like that's how they were made right before God before. So it's not about practicing righteousness. You know, practicing righteousness now is hanging out with Jesus. And when we hang out with Jesus, uh, I, you can remember from Pastor Steve Shell's message about three weeks ago, he said, when you're, when you're around God, it convicts you. It cleanses you. You remember your calling, you know, and you move out, right? Like, like it's, it's like when we're with God, that's what happens. That's practicing righteousness. Um, but those who practice sin is of the devil, and the devil has sinned from the beginning. We talked about that. You know, Satan was in the garden. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Jesus came to destroy this lie from the enemy. Like we have sin, we have the fall of man, but he came to destroy the works of the enemy, the lies that says, did God really say that? It's okay, go ahead. Nobody's looking. You know, like he came to destroy the enemy so that we could walk with him. <clears throat> I love that verse. Verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Like it's clear. If you're a child of the devil, you are just like, nobody cares, you know? Like, 
Go to a Seahawks game. I know it's closed down right now, but if you've ever been in Seattle at a Seahawks game, it's like, wow, children of the devil. Like, I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But you just see people, and you hear foul things come out of people's mouth, and you just see everyone's, you know, drunk, and you just you just see things. You just see the, the works of the devil. You just see people who are in bondage. It's just, it breaks your heart to see people who are, like, of the devil, and they're just living a life in sin, and it's clear they don't know Jesus. That should actually break our hearts when we see people in bondage, when we see people who are who have no hope. Because that's they're living in sin because they have no hope. They're trying to cling to something because they want to like fulfill this this need that is in us, that God-shaped hole in us that is just like only God can fill. But then they they're that's why people who don't know Jesus are always trying to fill it um, with sin. Um, so those who practice Oh, where am I? 10. And by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. It's obvious when someone who is walking with Jesus and people who are not. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And I think that's important there that, you know, John is making it clear here that if you are in God, if you hang out with Jesus, if you're abiding in Christ, if you are stewarding the presence of God in your life, if that's who you are, if you are practicing righteousness, then the natural byproduct and overflow is, yeah, I'm convicted, I'm cleansed, but I'm also called. And I'm called to love others. You begin to think otherly, we say. You begin to see people for the way God made them instead of um, a tool or, or uh, an obstacle or whatever it is. I think when we, when we walk out in our flesh, and we can still do this today, even, even Christians, you know, I struggle with that, not walking with the eyes of Christ, not walking out my life going, oh, that's a son and daughter of the king, and they deserve honor and respect, and God made them the way they are. Maybe the way they, they behave is not always, you know, the way God intended them to, to live, But when we begin to see people, how God made them, I think it changes everything. It really does. Um, And it it makes you want to love your brothers. It makes you want to love them. It makes you want to, you know, give the shirt off your back. You know, you stop thinking like, how can I build my kingdom? How can I make my fortune? How can I, you know, fill in the blank? And you begin to think about other people, you know. Let's see, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. He said that multiple times in this letter, and I think that's important to bring up because John is reminding them, I'm not bringing anything new to you. You know this stuff. Like, the, these guys who are bringing up all of this stuff to you, this weird theology and these ideas that you're afraid maybe you need to come up with some new theology to like combat it, you don't. Like what you believe is true. Like God in you. There's nothing more powerful than abiding in Christ and being with him and being children of the light and walking in the light as he is in the light. Like there's nothing better than practicing righteousness. Like when you are in God, it's, it's a powerful experience and there's nothing like it. We don't walk around just sinning. And so like you don't need to try to figure out what they're saying, is this, is this true or not? Um, you don't need to. You've been told this from the beginning. Um, you have heard this from the beginning that we would love one another. Like, that's clear. 
Jesus taught it. They know it from the Gospels. They came to Jesus and said, the, the Sadducees, like, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And what was Jesus' response? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. Then he said, and this second command is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said the entire Bible, the Old Testament, right? All of the Torah and the prophets, all of it, all, everything that they had, Scripture, could be summed up in these two commands. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that that has been a clear, like it's a, it's a pillar in the church. It's like one of the main things that they teach. They all know this thing. They know that if you love God, if you call yourself a Christian, then you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a command that they know. And he's saying, for this message which you have heard from the beginning, that we would love one another. Like this is not news. This is not something new. Um, But it's obviously in contrast to those who are sons of the devil and then those who are practicing righteousness. Um, Verse 12, not as Cain, who was the evil one, who slew his brother, and for what reason did he, let's just say kill him, He he murdered him because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You know, John brings up, John brings up Cain, like Genesis 4. Like this is, this is like the first, the first two that were born from Adam and Eve. And it's clear that, that Cain was evil. Abel, his brother, brought a sacrifice to God and he brought, he was over the herds and he brought an animal and, you know, Cain worked the land and he brought the fruits of the land. And it didn't say that God didn't love Cain's sacrifice, but I think it's interesting, and this is probably for a whole nother time, but it says he was, he had his attention was on the sacrifice that Abel brought. And I think it like, because that was the sacrifice, right? That was the blood. Like the first sacrifice they had to make was... God killed an animal and gave Adam and Eve clothes, right? Blood had to be paid for their sin and started this sacrificial system that we see now with the precious blood of Jesus making us right for all eternity, everyone, right? But so he's looking at, he's looking at Abel's going, oh yeah, like this is what I need. There, there must be blood. And then he sees the food and he's like, and he says, if you haven't done anything wrong to Cain, right? But he says, be careful because because the enemy comes, like Satan comes and he desires to control you. That's what it says in the next verse after that. And I just think it's, a, it's interesting because we're not as Cain who was evil and he killed his brother. And if you think about murder, you think about murder as like an ultimate act of like, I'm better than you, you know, like that, that sin, sin has to go a long way for you to get to the point where you are murdering someone. So, I mean, it reads really fast in Genesis. He saw his brother in the field and then he killed him, right? But like something had to, there had to be a lot, there had to be a lot of hatred in his heart. And we read on here about that. Um, Because the deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Uh, he who does not love abides in death. Um, so there's that word abide again. Actually, uh, John uses the word abide 
34 times in his gospel and 19 times in his epistles. This idea of abiding is really important to John. Like, I like the idea of just being like, it's like hanging out with Jesus, being around, abiding. is being The, the branch and the vine analogy, right? You are, the, you are the vine, I am the branch. Like, apart from you, I can do nothing. You know, that's the vineyard, that's the grapes. If, the, if the, the new little vine that comes out of the branch is growing, that would produce the grapes. If it's not attached to the, to the branch, that, the root system, right, that, that, last, that lasted through the winter season, you know, and now the new, and spring you have the new vine growing out that produces grapes. If it's not attached, it doesn't produce any fruit. Like you have to be attached, you have to abide. So his idea of abiding is being attached to Jesus, is being attached to him. And, and he, but here he's saying, he who, does not ab- he who does not love abides in death. So if you have no love for your brothers, if you're not loving others, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, right? It, it's, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love is joy, and love is peace, and love is patience, and love is being kind, and love is being gentle. Like if you don't have the love of God... If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, then you're actually abiding in death. Like you are hanging out with, with death. You know, you're, you're attached to, to dead things. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know, he, he's, he's showing the difference between loving your brothers and, or not loving your brothers, which is abiding in death. And now he's saying everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know, Jesus said that. If you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you have hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. Jesus was taking the Ten Commandments and he was making them personal in the heart. And so John is saying that here. He's saying everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You don't have the light of life in you. You don't have eternity in you. You are not born again in the Spirit. There's no way that you have Christ abiding in you and you're born again and the Holy Spirit is in you if you're ha- holding on to hatred and, and wanting to murder someone. Like, that just isn't who you are. Um, verse 16, we know love by this. So now he's going to explain to us what is love. We know it by this, that he laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Like no greater love is there than a man to lay down his life for another. And I think, I think today, you know, if there's any encouragement I can give you, any practical sense from this word to give to you today, it would be, how can I, how can I lay down my life for others today? Maybe you know, we're not going to the cross and actually dying. Maybe we're not, you know, a soldier and you're going and getting shot because you're defending your country maybe maybe we're not talking about that ultimate sacrifice but how can we just lay down our lives today how can we how can we have love in our hearts how can we how can we abide in Christ and have the spirit of god open our eyes to see people the way he sees people today um 17 but whoever has this who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does he have the love of God abiding in him? Like that's, like you can't say you're a Christian. I think, I think if we're just pulling it straight for today, what is this word saying to me today? Like, Jared, you can't be a Christian. You can't say that you abide in me 
and ignore those around you in need. Like, I think God gives us special circumstances. I think things that happen in our lives happen for a reason. I think God puts people in our path for a reason. I don't think it's by chance. I don't, I don't believe in luck. I believe that God, you know, brought me to Federal Way, Washington in 2020, you know, not because, you know, I thought it'd be a good idea to move here. You know, I'm from Idaho and, and, and I really loved it over there, but the Lord called us here. I mean, I believe for a reason God has the people that come across my path every day, whether that be wherever you go to lunch, whoever you get your coffee from, like whether that be the person you sit next to at work, like I don't think it's just they just happen to be someone in your life that you need to tolerate. I think the people of God are actually called to be on mission, to bring people to Jesus and, and you know, and Jesus to people, right? That's what we say around here. But no, we're, we're called to be on mission to see the lost saved and disciples made. That's what we say around here. So if we thought of that differently, if we thought of ourselves as missionaries, just like if I were to go to India or Africa or Mexico, you know, I would start to get to know the people I bought groceries from. I would get to know the people who were my neighbors. I mean, I mean, this is this is honestly, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself right now. Like, would I know my neighbors? Would I be kind to my neighbors? Would I go and get to know them? Would I would I care about their eternity? Would I see the world differently as, as a mission? Or would I just see what I do at church as my God time and, and everything else? Maybe I'll let you speak into right living or morals or ethics versus, no, God has me here for a purpose and a reason. And it's to see people come to know Jesus and to abide in him because there's nothing like it. All right, I'm going to run out of time. We're going to keep going. Um, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. Let's put this into action, right? Uh, we will, we will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our hearts before him and whatever our hearts condemn us for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. <laughs> I think our heart, right? I think man's heart is like evil and wicked and it's being purified and, and sanctified uh, in, from glory to glory, right? Like, like I, think, I think our heart, though, can quickly turn to, to doubt. And I think that if, um, I think that God's greater than that. I think that's what it's saying. Um, and whatever we ask, we receive in him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Um, I just want, actually I want to go back, you know, talk about the heart. Um, I think the heart is, it's clear like when, when you're dealing with something in your heart and you're struggling, I think it can take your focus off of what God is calling us to. Um, because it says, in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than that. But that's on the heels of, we will know this, we will be known by this that we are of truth and we will show our hearts before him. Like he's talking about doing the deeds. He's talking about living the Christian life, like, like loving people, like caring about people more than ourselves, like actually loving others, how God would love them and, and doing more than just, you know, tolerating people. And, and I think that in our hearts, I think we can condemn ourselves. So and I think uh, if we live there, 
right? We can, we, can, we can get distracted. But God is greater than that. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Um, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So if we're not struggling with that, if our, if our heart's not condemning our behavior, it's not condemning what we're, what we're doing, what we're believing, how we're living, then we, have, we just have this confidence. Um, so I would, say, I would say for us today, like, um, I'm actually just going to just close with that. I'll, I'll read the last verse because I think it's great. But um, just to, uh, practically taking this away, like something that we can apply today is if that's what we're struggling with, if in your heart you're struggling with this condemning feeling like I'm not doing enough for Jesus, um, it's as simple as saying, God, help me. God, I need you. God, I want to see things how you see things. It's as simple as saying, okay, Lord, Lord, I, I, I want to have the confidence that I'm walking with you as you want me to walk with you. I want to be around you and hang out with you. I want to abide in you, Jesus. Like if that's, if that's what we want, then it's simple. You turn to Jesus and just cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. And allow him to begin to change our hearts and minds today and see the world how he sees the world. And I'm just going to burn through these last two verses and close this out and pray. But this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, amen, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this, we know by this, that Jesus is hanging out with us by the spirit whom he has given us, amen. Well, Father, Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you want to be with us, that it's a desire of your heart to know us and be with us, Lord. And God, I pray that we would abide in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would give our hearts attention to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would change the things in our hearts that, are, that we're holding back, that, that area where, where maybe we're, we're dealing with insecurities or doubts, and that's what our heart is condemning us, and we just are holding back because there's areas where we're not sure. Lord, I pray you'd heal that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that we would walk as people on mission, Lord, that we would want to see people know you and know the freedom that you bring, Jesus. Lord, that, that this would not be about, about a Christian, an idea of a Christian walk, Lord, but that we would live it today. Lord, I want to live it today with you. I want you to, to use me. So Lord, I just say, use me, God. Here I am, Lord, use me. We thank you for your word this morning, God. We pray that you would continue to speak it to us as we go throughout our day. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written. 